this is the time of year we start thinking about next year. And what I'd like to do today is share from Ephesians 2 about next year, about perhaps more than anything, some thinking about how do we think about preparing ourselves for next year and what are the kinds of topics we should be thinking about in a new year to have a, a newer us. Not just not completely different and not like we're going to reach some uh, finished article, but going from where we are to somewhere uh, personally and as a congregation where we feel like we're growing and developing in the way that God wants us to be growing and developing. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, that newer us. We're all building something, whether it's passively or actively in a way. We're all building something. We're building some kind of uh, legacy in one way or another. We have a choice of how we build, and we have a choice of how well we build. But we're building something, and I would hope that we would take some time to reflect personally and as a church at this time of year on how well we are building to the way in which God wants us to build, to become what God wants us to, to be. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 and read our theme scripture here for uh, this morning, and which will be our theme scripture for 2019, particularly the final verse there at the end of the chapter. But we'll start today in verse 19. Chapter 2, verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is a tremendous passage about what we're built on as a church and of God's vision for who we are and who we are meant to become more and more of. I find this very visionary. So we're going to talk about three things from this passage today, and the first is a new identity. Identity is such a big deal, right? I mean, one of the reasons that film and the subsequent films were so popular and they were very well made, but part of it is that the issue of identity forms, it touches on something very deeply within us all. Who are we really? What is my identity? And so many films that don't have identity in the title are about identity. People who have amnesia, forgotten who they are. And it's just a parable of, of a search for who we really are. It, the Harry Potter films are really about Harry Potter discovering who he is in many ways. And so many films are like that. So many books are like that. That's why we read them and like them, because they touch on something deep. Our identity is precious to us. Uh, has anybody here uh, changed citizenship from one nationality to another? Charlotte Bromwin have, haven't they? They did the citizenship tests. You've done, you've done all those tests, and you guys have as well? Yeah, okay. So we got, plus Charlotte Broman, at least three couples. They've changed. Uh, never, not yet. Never, not yet. Okay, we'll, we'll get, get around to that. All right. With the, the, 
the issues of where we belong and who we belong to are very, very important to us. And it's quite a big step to uh, change nationality. It takes a lot of study and, um, from what I gather, quite a lot of money. Uh, yes? Okay. So, um, but it, it's, it's a big deal. But we, we don't just change nationality, although in a sense we do according to this passage, but we're changing something much more fundamental than just uh, uh, what's on our passport. It's a bit like instead, let me show you my birth certificate. Yes, I know you think it was, should have been written on parchment. Um, <laughs> but uh, there we are. It's my dad and my mum. My father's occupation at the time is written down as sales planner engineers, which I, I really don't know what that means. I do know what he did at, did at the place where he's working. But anyway, that's the description. And uh, there's the, the date. There's the address we lived. I should say this quietly since we're in Watford but we lived at 337 Beechwood Road in Luton. Uh, those of you who may know, there's quite a rivalry between Luton and Watford. Anyway, that's where we lived at the time. Oh, and look, this chap called Pawson was the registrar. Um, I was registered four, uh, four days after my birthday, 18th of February, because I was born on the 14th. If any of you want to write that down for next year for birthday presents and cards, that's, that's up to you. Um, but there, and I produced this, uh, at significant moments in life, right? When you want to get a mortgage, you need your birth certificate and if, things like that, right? But imagine that it's not just my passport that got changed, it's my birth certificate. Who, who my parents are, who I am, and perhaps my surname is changed. Perhaps, perhaps the, the circumstances, it doesn't say, it doesn't say uh, this address in Luton. It says, for example, um, a Church of Christ in Bermondsey in a baptistry in a, Burm in a Bermondsey church in, uh, on the 2nd of November 1984, which was the date of my baptism, my birth into Christ. So we, we change something very fundamental when we become a Christian. It's our identity. Nothing is more serious, a threat to us, we feel, than our identity theft. And we're warned about that significantly. And our family background is an exciting thing to explore when you, when you know things about your family. One of the people I really enjoy talking to um, is Penny's mother. Penny's mother, Carly. There she is in the middle there at, was that, was that Lydia's birthday or something, I think, earlier this year, something like that. And so there she is, there's Penny's mom, Carly. The chap on the far side, by the way, is Bintesh. For those of you who don't know him, he's Lydia's boyfriend at the moment. Um, and here's a, uh, uh, another story for another time. But my, my uh, mother-in-law, uh, Carly, I, I really like talking to her. She's very interesting on lots of levels. She was born in Costa Rica. Wow. And her uh, parents were running a banana and coffee plantation out there in the 20s and 30s. What a fascinating thing. I don't think she wore shoes until she was in her teens. They just ran around in bare feet. And uh, I, I mean, it's... What an, what an exotic kind of sounding thing that is to me. And I love sitting there and talking to her about her mom and her dad and what happened and why it happened and how they ended up out there, what happened during the war, and, and they had to stay out there, and they came back after. I mean, it, I, I, could, I have sat and talked to her for hours about this stuff, and I could continue to do so. And this is one of the, and I, I'm not going to belabor this point now, I'm going to move on, but I just want to encourage us to explore our new identity. You have a new family. 
You have a new family, because we're Christians, you have a new family here. Every single one of them is fascinating. You may think, well, we've been together for a church for two or three years, I kind of know everybody. No, you don't. And no, I don't. We have barely scratched the surface of understanding each other, knowing each other, understanding our motivations, our background, our history, our perspective on faith, on God, on life, on marriage, on parenting. We really don't know each other very well yet. I think we care about each other, but... How well do we really know each other? This next year could be a tremendous adventure in getting to know one another. And as a church, as an identity, but also getting to know God. We have so much to learn about God. I know sometimes the Christian life does feel sometimes like you're hearing the same things. And sometimes it can get a little boring when we've heard the same thing a few times. No, it is true, Dawn. No, well, okay, it's not, not for you. But for some other normal people, um, it can occasionally... It seem that things can get a bit boring, but I think we must understand at that point it's not a fault of God. It may be a fault in ourselves. It may be a fault of others around us, but it's not a fault of God. We have much to explore about our new identity in Christ. We are so blessed to be different from what we used to be and to have the promise of being more and more different uh, as we go on. Now, what I want to do next is read through this passage and... We're not going to delve into this in detail now because there's loads in it. But what I want us to notice is how much Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 emphasizes that we are in Christ. And it's what Jesus Christ has done for us. So he says uh, that he made us alive with Christ in verse 4. In verse 6, God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In verse 7. He expressed uh, his incomparable riches in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In verse nine we, are, 9, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Verse 13, now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, he himself is our peace, made the two groups one. Verse 15, by setting aside in his flesh. The law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Verse 18, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Verse 19 and verse 20, 21, in him the whole building is joined together. Verse 22, in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see how much it really is about Jesus. Our identity and our cohesion here is not so much about us, it's about what Christ has done for us. So that is our identity. If Our new identity, if we want a meaningful life, we need to be born again. If you want to really understand who we are, we need to be born again. And that's something to look into if you haven't really understood what that means. And if we want to grow in this next 12 months and in the future, then developing a sense of our, a clearer and more powerful sense of our identity in Christ must be a priority. Growth is not possible without development in our identity as Christians, as people in Christ. Those two must go together or it's a human-focused thing. So we could use a passage like Ephesians 2 here to explore our new identity. Maybe that's a good quiet time Bible study thing for us to do. Some meditative prayer over a passage like this could be very enriching. So the work of God is to give us a new identity. Our work is to grow into this identity and to enjoy it more fully. So the first thing we have is a new identity. The second thing we have is a new foundation. 
We need good foundations, right? Um, anybody doing any building, we understand that. Uh, and they go deep. They need to go deep or they're not going to be effective uh, as they need to be. And it says here we have a tremendous foundation in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2 there. What foundation do we have? The foundation on the apostles and prophets. Of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. The chief cornerstone. Um, this letter is written to a church in Ephesus in the first century, and Ephesus as a place still exists. Um, about 10 years ago, uh, Penny and I went to uh, Ephesus, and uh, I, do look quite, I do look quite a lot younger there, uh, uh, and my legs are exposed, which is not, not always, but it, it, was, it was hot. Um, but there, there you go, that's me, and because I look younger, but Penny looks exactly the same. Um, Ephesus is a fascinating place to visit. If you haven't had a chance to go, I would thoroughly recommend it, walking down the streets where you know Paul walked. I mean, you know that's the exact same stones on which he walked. It's an amazing thought. Um, in the museum nearby, they have some models, and this is a model of the te Temple of Artemis. So uh, the, she was the goddess... Uh, and the temple was one of the wonders of the ancient world. It was enormous, it was beautiful, it was ornate. It was known over the whole, if you like, known world of that time in the Mediterranean basin, across the Middle East, the Near East, and so on. It was uh, famous. People would go there on pilgrimage. They'd go there just to see the building. It was absolutely colossal. What remains of it today is this, 2,000 years later. This is the... Uh, there's the the field where it is, and there's one of the pillars which they've kind of put back together by stacking on top of each other random bits of pillar um, with some huge bird's nest right on the top up there. Uh, it doesn't look terribly stable uh, to me, but there you go. That's what it, and it gives you an idea of the scale with somebody standing uh, there at the bottom. So we have a contrast between the past and the present, one that's not too flattering of the, uh, of the temple there. Nearby... Because of the silting up that happened of the river, the, the city of Ephesus has actually moved several times over the centuries, and that's uh, uh, obviously where we were was one of the original, at the time of when the poor was around. Um, there are more modern buildings, relatively modern. For example, here, a little further away, also in Ephesus, is a church. These are the remains of... Is, oh, let me go back one. I'm going to come back to him in a second, sorry. These are the remains of a church built probably sometime after 300 AD. Not quite sure how long it was a functioning church, um, but it was um, a church, and as you already noticed, uh, Ben Brady, some of us will know, was there with us on this trip, and that's him standing in a baptistry. So that's a baptistry built into an ancient church, probably three, 400 AD, maybe around that time, maybe 500 AD, but certainly very early compared to our time. And there's your baptistry, uh, your ancient baptistry with the steps in. So Ben's giving us a bit of perspective on the shape and size and, and all that. So uh, that's it. Now, the, I really enjoyed going there and seeing that, but there was an irony, if that's the right word, uh, for what we also saw there, which is this, that right next to the old, abandoned, um, ruined church building is this building. Wow. I mean, where I'm standing is where the church is, and I'm taking this photograph over this, and that is a mosque. And it's a mosque dedicated to Jesus. So you have a mosque dedicated to Jesus, 
in operation and functioning next door to a ruined church building which no longer functions. And it occurred to me that when you think about the book of Revelation um, and you think about what's said to Ephesus in the book of Revelation, right? Um, keep skipping. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars. I know your deeds. He's, this is written to the church in Ephesus. Your hard work, your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked men. You have tested those who claim to be apostles or are not found them false. You persevered, endured hardship for my name, have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, I want to put this in a, a, what I hope is a reasonable context. You have this warning of the church in Ephesus, and from what we understand from Clement and other writers of the late 1st century, early 2nd century, and because this, this was written very late, maybe in as late as 90 AD, maybe 70, 80, 90 AD, it seems that the church in Ephesus heeded this warning from the Apostle John when he wrote this. And they had some squabbles and things going on, but they, they sorted it out. And they uh, did well again for a while. But then we find other early Christian writings from the 100s AD coming back to the same problems. The church in Ephesus can, had a repetition of the same kind of issues. And it seems that over time, it drifted away. Now, we don't know all the circumstances, and I, I don't want to try and put two and two together and make five. But what I'm suggesting is that when we recognize that something is being brought, being brought to our attention by God, it's important for us personally and as a congregation to pay attention to it. Because we've got to pay attention to God's guidance of us because God is our foundation and Christ is our cornerstone. He is the one that gives us the right uh, uh, strength, uh, the right stability, and the right guidance. And so it's important for us as a church, when we consider the future, what's the best way for us to be church? Not just to think about what we like and what we prefer, but what is God trying to show us and teach us? And this is a time of year when I want us, I personally, and I want all of us, to think about our direction as a church. I think that's right. Let's take some time to think about that. It's time to say, take some time to talk about it. Uh, the men on a, one of the Wednesdays, we had a bit about that. I know the women had a bit of discussion a Wednesday or two ago, and that's good. So let's compile ideas and thoughts. We'll make some decisions if necessary towards the end of the year in preparation for next year. But as we do it, please, let's make sure that we are prayerful, scriptural, thinking about God's wisdom. And it's fine to consider our preferences. Nothing wrong with that but it must be under the authority of what God teaches us and what he considers to be, to be best. There's not ever going to be a church that uh, functions that meets everybody's preferences all the time. Uh, that's just not going to happen. But we can be sensitive and humble to God's leading. So as we discuss, as we think, as we debate, whatever might need to be different next year. And I'm not saying what any of those things should be, but just, you know, let's, let's pray and let's ask God to give us guidance because we need the right foundation and the right cornerstone. And that is Christ and nothing else. So let's make some time for that to do that. Okay, third point, moving on. The third part of this is the last couple of verses here. 
not only do we have a new identity, and not only do we have a new foundation, but we have a new purpose. When we are a congregation of like-minded people, of disciples of Jesus Christ, we have a new purpose. And in verse 21 and 22, uh, we're, it says we're being joined together. We're a building, rising, in the process of rising, to, to become a holy temple in the Lord, and in him you two are being built. It's a process of development and growth of, build, of building, built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Are we a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit? Yes, we are. But can we be more of a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit more? I'm sure we can, because all of us can. We're individually temples of the Holy Spirit. It says that elsewhere in Scripture. But we're also collectively a temple or a dwelling for the Holy Spirit. So we have a new purpose, and that is to reflect God. It's to accommodate God. It's to wel- for God to be welcome. It's for God to infuse. Like if God is in the building, you're going to notice. If God is in the building, it's going to change things. If God is amongst us, it refines us. If God is amongst us, we are filled with joy. If God is amongst us, we have a peace that passes understanding. If God is amongst us, when we have disputes, we resolve them uh, harmoniously and gloriously to God's glory. This is what happens when God dwells among us. When God dwells among us, then we grow. When God dwells among us, we use our gifts for his glory. When God dwells among us, then people who visit are attracted to come back, assuming they have a heart for God. When God dwells among us, then we care about those who need care, whether it's within our membership or whether it's beyond that, like the, uh, uh, the food bank collection or friends and neighbors we know who really need our help. That's what happens when God dwells among us. We are a different kind of people. So two things I'd like to th- us to think about. Um, from this passage and for as we think about the the year ahead uh, are these. Firstly, if God is meant to be dwelling among us and we are being built into something very uh, good for God, then the first thing we must pay attention to is our personal relationship with God. We need to pay attention to that, walking with God, walking in the what you might call the kingdom way of life. Um, As Jesus said in Matthew 4, man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, we connect with God through his word. If we're going to be a people that are fit for God to dwell amongst, then we need to be a people of God's word. I'm not laying down any laws about how much we should read, how often we should read, or how we should study, but the word's got to be something that's part of our life, like part of the fabric. It is, it is like the air we breathe. It is the sustenance that keeps us strong. It's the word, because we don't live on bread alone, although it's nice to see some food at the back. And I know that's one of the debating issues at the moment for, for Sundays, but that's okay. We'll enjoy it today, and then we'll decide about next year. But uh, it's good to have the physical food, but there's, there's more to life than physical food, even though some of us may struggle to believe that, but it is true. And it's the word of God that sustains us and gives us wisdom. We need that. In Luke chapter 6, We have the story of the house built on the rock and the house built on the sand, which we know. We want to be the house built on the rock personally. We want to be a church that's built on a rock, not on sand. And for that to be the case, we need to build it on God's word, on the presence of God. A new purpose, paying attention to our personal relationship with God. And in John 15, verse 4, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. 
But we need to remain in Christ. That's what we need. Good fruit that lasts depends upon us being connected to Jesus. We can't bear fruit by ourselves. We know that. We need Jesus. And we're only strong in the end as our relationship with God is strong. The, the two-way connection between us and Jesus. The relationship, not just an adherence to a doctrine or a membership of a group, but uh, a loyalty to him. And then secondly, if we pay attention to our relationship with God, which is the primary and main thing, and secondly, we need to pay attention to our relationships with others within the congregation if we're going to be the right kind of dwelling in which God can live by his spirit. Two scriptures, and then we'll finish. I like these. Um, they tell me a lot about how it, what it means to be um, a good fellowship, perhaps you could say. In 1 Peter 2 verse 5, you also like living stones, building uh, metaphor there again, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Offering spiritual sacrifices. So, um, do Christians get tired? Yeah. Do they get sometimes exhausted, like poor Tunde recently? Okay, yes, they do. Do we sometimes feel at the end of our tether, like we, we can't do any more? Yeah, okay. And, and do we need refreshment at those times? Yes, we do. But just because we're tired, does that mean something's wrong? I, I would submit no. We can still offer spiritual sacrifices no matter what's going on in our lives. And the, the details will change, the circumstances will change, but we can still give. We've all got a role to play. We've all got something that this body needs. That's what 1 Corinthians 12 tells us. We need each other. You say, I'm too weak. Excellent. If you're too weak, that's even more reason why I need you, according to 1 Corinthians 12. Well, I, I don't have any gifts. You just haven't found them yet. That's all. Or you haven't allowed them to be revealed. You have something that this church needs that we all need. Ephesians chapter 4. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow. There's the growth metaphor again, like the rising and the growing and the building in Ephesians 2. We will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body. Yes, some of us might think we're mature, but we're not mature. Not as mature as we can be, uh, personally, and as a, a body. Uh, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, from him, the whole body, joined, held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work, as each part does its work, this church will be as strong as if uh, as uh, will be as strong as me doing my work, you doing your work, Simone doing her work, Barry doing his work, uh, Emma doing her work. Uh, it's it's each one doing its work. Our work will vary. Our gifts vary, but. We've all got them. We've all got work to do. It goes back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, good works prepared in advance for us to do. Pay attention to our relationships with others in church. In other words, not to be superficial, but real, and to use our gifts in sacrifice to serve others. That's part of what it means for us to develop into the kind of dwelling in which God can live by his spirit. So to wrap up, Next year is on the horizon. Here it comes. Get ready for it. Personally and as a church, I think it's going to be very exciting. I've loved this year. Of course, it's had its challenges. But I think as a church, we've, had, we've seen some tremendous things happen this year. We'll talk more about that towards the end of the year. I think we've seen people grow. We've had great fun. We've, we've uh, I think, glorified God in many of the things we've done. I'm excited about that. But that's this year. What about 
next year? What's God got in mind for us? What do we need? We need this new identity which Christ has given us. We need the new foundation to be, make sure we're building on that foundation, the apostles and prophets and Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. We need also to refresh ourselves with our purpose. We have a purpose to sacrificially serve one another so that God can be glorified in this congregation and also to remember that we must must pay attention to our relationship with God because it is Christ that fills us with the power and the strength to do what he wishes to do in this congregation. I'd like to encourage us all, myself included, to be sure to put some time aside, plan it in your diary between now and the end of the year, to review your relationship with God, to review your relationships here, and to think about how God might be calling you to build differently in 2019. To God be the glory. Amen.